Well, my, uh, my message uh, is on the text 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 17. So I'd like you to turn there, and I would like to read that passage, then pray, and then go from there. Obviously, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He's saying, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and now someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood or hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's pray. Lord, again, what a joy it is to be here. Lord, I do feel I'm, I'm, I'm just at another place in my church family. And um, Lord, I rejoice for all that you are doing in the midst of this precious church that's been bought by the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would uh, truly um, open our eyes, open our ears, anoint my lips, just to speak and exposit your word, that it would bring life and encouragement Lord, and and guidance and illumination to all who hear it, that we would walk out of this place changed men and women with a greater passion and a greater desire to build well what you've called us to build, that we might finish well. So, Father, we ask for your Spirit to be upon us, to illumine us, to enlighten us, to transform our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I am a guy that likes to go out and read epitaphs on tombstones. I love going into Havit of Grace as a place, Havit of Grace, Maryland. They have these old churches, a lot of Methodist churches, old Methodist. And they have the tombstones, and they have these wonderful quotes and sayings on them. You know, I thought, this is great. Boy, these old tombstones. Then I went to England. And then I saw what really old tombstones look like, you know, so it was kind of interesting. But I remember epitaphs. And an epitaph is something, words that are written in memory of a person who's died. Actually, it comes from the Greek word epitaphion, which means funeral oration. Or epi- and that comes from epitaphios, which means over or at a tomb. So... So, and it's funny, I looked online, I said, okay, let me check out some epitaphs. I want, let, me get, let me see what some of the heavy hitters are. Let, let me find a funny one. So, so here's a funny one. I, I'm going to look behind me because I, I don't know if we can have the, do we have the projector or? Okay, good, good. All right. Um, I am not going to look behind me, okay, because I'm just going to distract you guys. But um, Elizabeth Rich, and she was buried in uh, Eufaula Historical Cemetery in Eufaula, Alabama. And I love this. 36-33-01-24-17. Honey, you don't know what you did for me. Always playing the lottery. The numbers you picked came into play two days after you passed away. For this a huge monument I do erect, for now I get a yearly check. How I wish you were alive, for now we're worth 
8.5. Now, I would like to be known a little more than the guy who bought the lottery ticket and then died two days later, but that's a funny one. Then there's some that are sarcastic. This is from uh, Ribsford, England, about Anna Wallace. So the children of Israel wanted bread, and the Lord sent them manna. Old Clerk Wallace wanted a wife. The devil sent him Anna. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> okay. Um, this is one, uh, and then some are sad. Here's Joseph II of Austria. He's the Holy Roman Emperor. And he says, here lies Joseph II, who failed in all he undertook. And you know, he was the one that had that epitaph written on his tombstone. He said, when I die, I want you to write this. And that's sad. And then some are tragic. Alphonse Capone. My Jesus, mercy. My Jesus, mercy. So these epitaphs, they can tell us something about how these people live their lives, how they finish their race. And the question I ask myself, and I think we all need to ask ourselves is, if we do have an epitaph, well, how will that epitaph read? How, how do we want it to read? And um, I'm 67. So I'm now looking a little more attentively at how my epitaph will read than when I was 27. When Larry and I first met, we weren't exactly thinking about this, now that I'm a little bit older. You know, it's like, well, how is it, what's it going to say? What, what, will my, what will my epitaph say about the kind of life I lived? About the kind of life I built, the kind of marriage I built, the kind of family I built, the kind of church I helped to build? What will it say about that? What will it say about my legacy? See, a lot of people, they're interested in leaving behind an inheritance. An inheritance is, is it's things you leave people. A legacy is the imprint your life has made on people. And so, um, now I don't think morbid thoughts. I want you to know I'm a pretty joyful guy. But I want, I don't want my epitaph to read this way. Do you? His life work was burned up. He suffered great loss. He was saved, but only as through the fire. Because some Christians are going to finish that way. That's what this passage tells us. They're going to finish as through the fire. And I think it's safe to say we want to be able to say what Paul said at the end of his life. We want our epitaphs to read this way. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've finished well. How many of us want to hear on that day when we, when we first see our Savior face to face that the first words out of his mouth would be, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So the theme of the passage and the title of my message is Finish Well. Because this passage tells us first what God is calling us to build. Our part of His holy temple. 
You know, at the very end, he talks about his holy temple. He says, you are that temple. So that's what he's calling us to build, uh, that part of his holy temple. He's calling us to build it life by life. He's calling us to build it marriage by marriage, family by family, local church by local church. That's what he's telling us. And then he tells us how to build. We are to invest the best of our time, our talents, and our treasure. And then, you know, over the past three years, I realized something else we need to invest our best of, our tongues. And I'll share a little bit more about that a little bit later. But time, talent, treasure, and tongues. How much of your ministry is done with your tongue? For either the building up or the tearing down. So our tongues as well. And to build... Really, the local church is when he's placed us. To build a universal church means you build a local church. And to build a local church, you're building your families, you're building your marriages, you're building your lives. That's how it's built. That's how the living stones come together. They're ordered. And then the, the structure, the edifice goes up. So it tells us how to build with the best. We invest the best. And then it tells us why we are to invest our best so that we would finish well, so that we would receive the reward, so that we would finish not as those who are finishing as escaping through fire. And so we see this passage tells us what God is calling us to build, how he's calling us to build it, and why he's calling us to build it. So my main point of my message is this. Brothers and sisters, we've been commissioned and empowered by God to build our local church. So let each of us and all of us build well that we might finish well. Now, there's four exhortations I'd like to share with you that will help us build well so that we finish well. The first thing I'd like to say is, first, we want to cherish the privilege. People lose sight of the privilege of what God's called them to do, what God's called them to pour out their life doing. And so I want to remind us afresh to cherish that privilege. Then we are to build with great care. Not casually, but with great care. We are to invest our best. And we are to remain steadfast and persevere. Now, I understand that I am, in one sense, preaching to the choir. But that's okay as long as we go out of here singing the same song. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, I said my title of my message was Finishing Well. My subtitle of the message, which I don't put anywhere, but I do tell people, is Confessions of a Local Church Fanatic. I am, I'm, I, I have to say. And I, and, I, and I do so because of what God has blessed, how he has blessed me through my local church. So I want to set a little personal context in, because when you think, this guy really is a lunatic, I'm just trying to tell why I am a lunatic. All right? First of all, I want you to know I'm married to a wonderful lady. I said, Daryl, 47 years we've been married. Um, We have three adult children. They range from age 37 to 46. I have nine grandchildren. They range from 4 to 21. So I'm up there, boys and girls. (laughs) Now, Daryl couldn't be with us today. Uh, Her family came in, and I'll tell you about that. So, But she sends you her greetings, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the time she'll get to connect with you guys. Now, I have to say, Dow and I, we love the church. We treasure our local church. We treasure our family of local churches, known in various 
seasons and different names. Right now, we are at Sovereign Grace Churches International. Okay, yes. Yeah. Don't hold on that too tightly. It'll probably change in about five years. But anyway, so we do. We have actually, actually, the church we are now part of was the church we were saved in in 1979. We don't know of any other church other than our church. And so we've been on the ride. You know what I'm saying? You've been, you know, we've been on the ride. You ever been on the wild mouse? Well, we call it the wild. This thing it just jerks you all around, dips you, throws you upside down. And, but you stay on the ride so you can get the full benefit of it. Well, that's us. We've been on the ride. We've been on an amazing journey with our church and our church family and our family of churches. So ever since we were saved, so it's been 35 years almost, we were saved through the gospel witness of our church. We learned to love Christ, to worship Christ, to grow in Christ, and to serve Christ in our local church. We formed many precious, intimate, edifying relationships with others in our local church that have lasted to this day. We've raised our family in Christ in our church. Our children were saved through the gospel witness of our church. Now my grandchildren are starting to be saved by the gospel witness of our church. Through the God, not by it, but through it. Obviously by regeneration. Don't want to preach any heresy here that Larry will have to come and correct me for. Um, we, we have had our children baptized. In fact, I had the privilege of baptizing each one of my children in the church. And so our church married other children, either from our church or a sister Sovereign Grace Church. And for those of you who attended Covenant Life Church... Thank you for having, you know, for having Abby Campbell raised in your church and then given to us. Because now she's Abby Cannon, my son's wife. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And thank you again for when the Campbells came, you sent them out. And now they are serving our church. People say we stole them from you. I prefer to say you sent them out. But anyway, amazing, you know. And, and I mean, it's amazing. We get together and it's like, man, these people, our DNA is the same. You know, it's like... Boom. It was just amazing. Anyway, yak, yak, yak. All right. <laughs> so our children, our spouses became committed members of either our church. Like right now, my, I have uh, three children, uh, two daughters and a son. My middle daughter, Lori, is now Lori Reyes, and her husband is serving as a pastor at Cherry Hill, the Cherry Hill Church, our sister church there. And now we're, tr- we're helping uh, our children raise our grandchildren in our church. So I'm not just a pastor of the church. Daryl's not just a pastor's wife. We're products of the church. You see what I'm saying? We're products of the church. And, and the thing about it is, is that in our church is a product of what we'll call now Sovereign Grace Churches International. Because we were added to Sovereign Grace. We were adopted by Sovereign Grace uh, before they knew any better back in 1985. They adopted us, and we have been with them ever since, and we have been so grateful to God for the leadership, for the example, for the encouragement, for the fellowship. I, don't, I can't imagine where we would be apart from these local churches. So I want you to understand, I am a sovereign grace fanatic as well. I, real, I see the impact and the imprint through, through the sovereign grace ministries, and, and so we don't, we don't shy back from that. Um, in fact, Um, So, anyway, we are local church fanatics. So that's my background. Let's dig in. Cherish the privilege. So what I want to do is I want to begin at the end of this passage, not at the beginning of this passage. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I mean... 
We are that temple. Those living stones, Matthew 16, 18 says, I say to you that you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You see, we need to remember, brothers and sisters, and cherish this amazing privilege to pour out our lives together to build our part of God's holy temple, His church. And, and I love to say, I like to reflect upon what God, what our Lord is building. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the master builder, he is building his temple of living stones, his church, local life by local life, local marriage by local marriage, local family by local family, local church by local church. And it's going to extend to every tribe, every nation, every tongue, against which the very gates of hell will not prevail. Each local church he is building is called and commissioned by God and empowered by God, I'll add, to be a God-loving, neighbor-loving, one-another-loving, gospel-loving, disciple-making church, empowered by his Spirit to be his gospel witness to a lost and dying world. I can't think of anything better to give my life to. How will we then live, Francis Schaeffer? This way. This way. And again, I, I'm not trying to... I, look, I, I, I'm so for my local church and my family of churches I'm a part of. It could sound like, well, we're the best of the best of the best. That's not what I'm trying to... Don't hear what I'm not saying. Wherever anyone has seen the work of God over 35 years in their life in a local church, may they be as appreciative and thankful to God as I am. Okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. Many good churches out there, but thank you, Jesus. And so, and we are building God's church. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, there was a, there's a nice little story. It says about, there were two guys, and there, were, there, were, there was a big cathedral being built. And these two guys, they were just little workers, and they were, had their little cart of bricks, and they were bringing their little bricks along and putting them here. And so, you know, a guy interviewer comes up to me and says, hey, what you doing? Guy said, well, you know, I'm kind of bringing these bricks from over here to over here. And then I go back, and I do it again, and I do it again. Hey, thanks. Thanks for that. Then he goes up to the other guy. Hey, what are you doing? I am building a mighty cathedral to the glory of God. You haven't noticed that? There are no, there are no menial tasks in building God's church. Hey, let me tell you, let the sound guys take a vacation and see where we are. You know, let, let, let the guys say, I'm not setting chairs up today. Or I'm not, you know, in other words, there are no menial tasks. There are no little parts of the body saying, we don't need you. Um, so I just want to say that, let us be sure that every day we are freshly making ourselves aware of what a privilege it is to be part of God's plan to build his holy temple, and we are that temple. Amen? Amen. So we cherish the privilege, and we infect others with that as well. You know, we, we, that, to me, it's like, you know, when, you, when you, got, you get pumped, you infect people. You get pumped negatively, you infect people as well. So a little caution there. But, but anyway, so cherish the privilege. Next, let's build with great care. It says, according to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. My son Jimmy, he actually taught uh, at, a, at, a, at a church, and he taught on this passage, and he was applying it pretty much like I'm applying it to everybody. And then the pastor came over, he says, well, you know, um, I don't know if you were being theologically precise. That's how you use it. He says, because this passage really applies to apostles and, you know, the Ephesians 4 ministers. And, um, and, and Jimmy was gracious, and he kind of, thank you, thank you. But we understand that, yes, it primarily does apply to pastors and teachers and Ephesians. But we decided, I decided to look for a quote that this man would appreciate and respect, never gave it to him. But John MacArthur says this, and I believe it, not just because John MacArthur said it. Each one primarily does refer to evangelists, pastors, and teachers who have continued to build on the foundation laid by the apostles. But the context makes it clear that the principle applies to every believer. Every believer is to be a careful believer. And as every believer seeks to be a careful believer, think about how God works His grace through that to do His work. Okay? So, so we want to take great care to work together to faithfully build our lives and each other's lives and families and our local churches. We want to establish them on the rock. We want to build them on the rock. We want to build them on the rock. We want to build them on the gospel, on Jesus Christ, on His gospel, on His word. Uh, listen, every disaster in a church began with that church deciding to build someplace else. Every disaster in a marriage, every disaster in a family began with somebody saying, I'm not going to build on the rock. I like this part of the shifting sand. I'm going to build there. And so we have to see, we want to really build on the rock. I mean, again, Matthew 7, 47 to 49 says, Jesus saying, everybody who comes to me, hears my words and does them. I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. I love that. And laid the foundation of the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and couldn't shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against that house, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. You know, it's critical. And I, th- I tell you, I thank God I don't remember about you, but I come out of the early charismatic days, and there was a little phrase that came to me straight from the pit of hell. But it was kind of all, you know, doctrine's a four-letter word. You know, we could have gone down that crazy path. Thank God, again, thank God for men like CJ, who said, we are building on sound doctrine. And so I just thought about that. And so, and so <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for seeking to build us on Christ, on his gospel, on his word. And um, I just want to say something to you. Um, some people have really gotten disillusioned with the faith because they thought, hey, raise up your child in a way they should go, and then when they grow old, you know, they will, I just forgot that. Old man, old man, what's that, what's, how do you, how's that verse in? They will not depart from the ways. Okay, good. See, that's a, that's a senior moment. I don't know if whoever, anybody did it. Okay, anyway. Yeah, okay, amen. Praise God. All right, all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, I got a humorous story about that, but I don't have time. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll keep you guessing. People, and, my, and Daryl says, don't ever tell them that. Now they're going to be thinking about what was that story rather than hearing the rest. Yep, I'm sorry. Right. right. Move forward. All right. Here's what I wanted to say about that. You know, one of the most freeing things as a parent that had dawned on me. Can you save your children? No. Thank God for that teaching about regeneration. You know, that, no, we can't save our children. What can we do? We can lay a foundation. See, we lay a foundation on their lives. We lay the foundation. That's what our churches do with our children. It lays a solid doctrinal foundation that is built solidly on Christ, on the gospel, and on the word. That's what happens. Now, it's, well, in a humanly speaking, it's up to that child as to what they're going to build on. And sometimes a child goes, doop 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 I'll go here and build on the shifting sand. What happens? Eventually, the waters hit, the tides come, the rains, boom! All of a sudden, the kid gets knocked down. Now, maybe he hasn't learned his lesson. He maybe tries to build again. But I'll tell you one thing. I've seen child after child after child say, you know what? I think I got it. It's time to build on the rock. I've had, I've had kids in their 20s come back. I've had kids in their 30s come back. I've had kids, not only kids, but kids that were raised in a church saying, I'm, I'm out of here. Come back and say, I, j- I just wish I'd have done this from day one. And they're in our church, and they are testaments to the grace of God. So I just, I'm just excited about, about the fact. So, so if you're a parent right now, and your kid's kind of building on the sand, yeah, you know, yes, encourage them not to, but take heart in this. You have laid a great foundation in their lives. And one day, I believe, you know, I can't say for 100% certainty, but I think that by doing that, they will come and say, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living my life this way. I want to build on the rock. Okay. So, cherish the privilege, build with great care, invest your best. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, that's one category, or wood, hay, straw, that's another category. You know, you, you separate the devoted people from the dabblers. The devoted people will invest the best of their time, of their treasure, of their talent, and may I add, of their tongues. The ones who are dabbling with the faith, they'll kind of, well, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'll kind of merge this, uh, do a little bit of syncretic, um, you, know, hand, you know, shifting hand motions. You know, and it's like, look, we're going to build with either the best or not the best. Let's build with the best. Let's invest the best. I remember, I used to be a, a, uh, on a ch- I live by the Chesapeake Bay, right? So I used to buy, I bought a boat. And I bought a boat, and it was a 32-foot for you boaters, a wooden hauled boat. Now that thing, it's a love-hate relationship. You have to paint it every season. You have to paint the bottom of it every season. And you got to paint it with this super costly paint. Everything, you put marine on it, you just double the price of whatever you're paying for. When it, the wood gets rotten, you got to take it out and you got to replace it with marine, marine grade plywood and mahogany and, and you have to use bronze silicon screws and ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And I found out, I found out firsthand that a boat truly is a hole in the water that you throw money into. Okay? And the temptation was always, I'm just going to 
I'm not going to paint the bottom this year. Or the temptation was, I'm just going to use regular screws. What's the big deal? Or the temptation is, you know, well, you know, I'll cut a corner here, cut a car, you know, not, not, not do, hey, marine grade, nah. Let me tell you something. If you don't build, you don't invest the best in those boats, they rot, the salt gets to them, and man, when the storms come, you're going to know you wanted to build a better boat. And so that was one of the things about investing the best. And, and let's face it, brothers and sisters, are we going to be spared the rains of life? Are we going to be spared the storms? Are we going to be spared the catastrophes? Are we going to be spared, you know, you, we go on and on and on. No, we're not. We're going to go through them like everybody else. And it's what we've built with that's going to make the difference. Because Christ. These are means of grace, not the source, but they are means of grace through which Christ causes us to stand fast. So we, we must invest our best. We must invest our best. Um, and God deserves... Look, Jesus brought the, bought this church with his blood. Does he deserve any less than our best being invested? So remember I told you about our time, our talent, our treasure. You've probably heard so many stories on this. Okay, our tongues... I didn't realize until all this stuff hit and all this negative talk hit and all this stuff hit how, how, how true what James was saying was, was true. Tongue can just set things on fire. Tongues can, um, not, not tongues in the sense of speaking in tongues, but, but Ephesians 4.29 is a passage I just want to, says, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Wow. Okay? But only such as is good for building up. As it fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. You know, as we're talking, wouldn't it be good to have that little verse running in the back of our heads? You know, is this good for building up? Is it fitting the occasion? Is it giving grace to those who hear? And it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The connection is, if, if you're letting corrupting talk come out, you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day um, of redemption. And then it says this, because in why do our heart, what fuels this, this corrupting talk? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, you might say, well, you know what? I've been sinned against so much, I get a pass on this verse. You know, what the, you know what the real thing is? It's like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. Uh, it says forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. What didn't he forgive you for? He forgave us for everything, for every sin. So, forgiving one another. And, um, and by the way, this is not me of some, some high, lofty position preaching to you that you should get your act together on corrupting speech. I'm pre- Look, I preach this message to myself. You know, you might say, why aren't pastors more convicted? Because they did all their conviction when they first preached the message to themselves. You know, they're kind of, oh my. Because I, I realized, look, my, my tongue, I never forget Dave Harvin. He was adjusting me. It was a correction he was making in my life. He says, Jim, because you are a pastor... He says, whatever you say to someone rattles loud and long in their hearts. 
And I'm going, <laughs> you know, it's like that. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really it got me. I said, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Because I have to understand that what I say, even as a pastor particularly, has an effect. What I say as a father, what I say as a husband, you know, what I say as a brother. It, 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 but it all has these effects. So, oh God, help me not to have any corrupting talk. Let me, let me give grace to those who hear. And if somebody asks me, Jim, and you're 22 years as a senior pastor, what is it that you see has done the church the most, da- your church, my church, the most damage? I would say the giving and receiving of corrupting talk. I haven't faced anything worse than that. Corrupting talk fueled by bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. They just tear down the, the local church and they grieve the Holy Spirit. I, was, I had a picture in mind one day and it was like God said, don't be this. Do you remember Moby Dick? Remember Captain Ahab? Remember how Moby Dick took Captain Ahab's leg? You know, Moby Dick hurt Captain Ahab, took his leg. And all of a sudden Ahab said, I'm going to kill that whale. I, you know, and then you go, so you see how he does it. And, you know, and he's, he's, letting, he's letting everything go by because he wants Moby Dick. And at the end of the scene, you see, here's Ahab stabbing in my heart. I stab, you know, he's stabbing Moby Dick, trying to kill Moby Dick. And what does it do? It destroys him. Moby Dick's still swimming along. It destroyed him. And not only that, it destroyed his boat. There's only one person left on his boat, and that was just a witness who could say, whatever you do, don't try to kill Moby Dick. And I thought, you know, that can be, you know, you know bitterness, ta- unforgiveness takes over in your heart. It can turn you into an Ahab. It can turn me into an Ahab. It's like we don't want anything to do with that. And so let's put away anything that would tear down. And let's do everything that will build the church up by speaking only those words that give grace to those who hear, that flow out of kindness, out of tenderheartedness, out of forgiveness, and keeping first and foremost in our mind the amazing kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness of God in Christ toward us. So let's cherish the privilege Let's in, build with great care. Let's invest the best of our time, our talents, our treasure, and our tongues. And then finally, let's remain steadfast and persevere. You think we know, we think we know this? You, have you ever gone from doing the persevere thing to persevering? What I mean by you think you got it down, right? And then you really get hardship really hits you. Then you know, oh, I had no idea that that's what this verse meant. Because it says here, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work has been built on the foundation, on the cornerstone, on the rock, on the word, on the gospel, on Christ, if survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, meaning it hasn't been built on the foundation, it's going to suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. James 1 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 19. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 
Can I tell you something? All you have to be is old enough and you're going to experience trials. Um, I had, I, I've had two pastoral teams. I had my first pastoral team and um, these were men I dearly loved and there were things that were happening to them that were just off the charts. Like one of my pastor's wives up and left him. Just up and, up and left him. It was actually the worst day of my Christian life, in a sense, when I heard, when I got the phone call from his daughter, from the, from the girl, from, you know. Anyway, uh, I, I'm going, oh, God. And then um, I, you guys probably know Mark Turek, his wife, Carol Turek, who recently passed away. She had very severe MS for over 20 years and kept advancing and advancing and advancing. And then I saw um, a good brother of mine, Roger Pryor. He was our administrator. And Roger, um, he had... Um, well, he had, he had a disease. He had things that had been misdiagnosed for years. He had to actually retire because the job was literally killing him. As, even if you're the, if you do the best of health as an administrator, this job can take it out of you. But he, he, there was things that were happening in his life, and then eventually he died of brain cancer. Okay? And, you know, I, you're kind of going around. And I, I remember, and I was meeting with these guys all, we were all meeting together. And I'm going, I'm, I'm going, Lord, so what are you doing to these men? It so faithfully served you. I remember the Lord saying this. He said, he says, Jim, he says, you don't get to choose the way in which you give glory to me. And if I've called Mark Turk to give glory to me by caring for his wife, I will give him the grace. Yes. See, I that's where all of a sudden it, it, it hits you in the, it's like deer in the headlights when all of a sudden you realize, wow, God, you don't necessarily spare us, but you will give us the grace to give you glory in the midst of a very difficult situation. Anyway, I, I, um, I could go on and on and on, but, but I, I just remember these men. And you know what? John Parag, he's still a member of our church today. Roger Pryor passed away. His wife is still a member of our church today. She's, you know what I mean? They're still there. They're still there. You ever see that little Revolutionary War thing? It's a little pain of Revolutionary War. And you see this guy playing a piccolo. One guy's carrying a flag. One guy's beating a drum. And they're all in tatters. But they're still carrying that flag. And they're still moving forward. And they're not going to retreat. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, and you know, the, probably one of the, the biggest things is not what, you know, illnesses, diseases, afflictions, catastrophic, you know, they're not fun, but think about the pain you suffer when it's someone who you are close to causes that pain. When John's wife left him, I can't imagine the pain that he endured. I was there with him. I wept with him. But, you know, I'm not living in his shoes. And I just can't imagine. And, and I remember that, that, you know, oftentimes our fiery trials are going to involve or affect each other. We can really get hurt by people. And let's face it, we can really hurt people. It's a two-way street. In fact, this guy, I can't even pronounce his last name, Chuck Palianuk said this quote, Your heart is my piñata. Your heart is my piñata. And if you're a pastor, you know, or if you've been in a church, you know that there are people who are coming out where 
they have just been beat on like a pinata. And you're weeping, you're crying, but when you stand, you see they are beat down, but then you see them get back up and you give glory to God. Because you know the only reason they could get back up was because they built their lives on the rock and the grace flowed into the rock and it caused them to stand back up. Do you remember that song? Maybe if you're under 30, you don't remember this song. But it's called The Fighter by Simon and Garfunkel. And it says in one of those lyrics, the fighter is saying, I am leaving, I am leaving. Yet the fighter still remains. Why? Because of the grace of God at work in him. Because he chose to get up and say, I'm going to continue to fight the good fight. And I'm going to do it based on the word of God. So brothers and sisters, I I just want to um, just share with you that we must be steadfast. And as we purpose to be steadfast, no matter how weak we feel, God will give us the grace. And so, have you ever gone through things you wonder, how on earth did I go through that? How on earth? And God says it wasn't on earth. That's the, that's the clue number one. This didn't happen because of, you know, it came because the Lord, just because we looked up in his direction and said, God, even that guy that said, help me, I believe, help my unbelief. So, I, uh, I want to close with this quote. Um, it's from Theodore Ro- Teddy Roosevelt. And it says this. Because that's the other thing, too, is that the worst thing you can be as a Christian that becomes a, gets on a sideline and becomes a critic. It's like, Jesus, and I'm not talking about, and that guy shouldn't do that. I'm talking about me. Has there been a temptation in your life to kind of just pull on the sideline and go, okay, we want to go here, let's go here. Hey, in fact, I tell people, look, you're actually missing 90% of what you could critique me for, but I ain't gonna, I'm not going to tell you what that is. But anyway, um, but here's what he says. He says, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. I love this. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Well, actually, the credit actually belongs to the Lord who is in the man that is actually in the arena. So, but hear me out. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deed. He does actually strive to do his part in building his life and his marriage and his family and his local church in a way that will give glory to God. He strives to do the deed. Who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Now, I have to adjust that to make it fit here. I have to remove one line from that. And that line is, who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. 
Brothers and sisters, we know that we, with great enthusiasm, devotion, and daring, we can invest ourselves in this most worthy of causes, for we will not fail. In the end, we will triumph. We will triumph. Why is that? Because we are in Christ, and in Christ, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. So let's not fall for any of the the enemy's schemes. Let's not go about rewinding the tapes of the past except to learn from them. Let us not let anything hinder us from running well, from building well together, that we would finish well and hear together, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. (laughs) I'll turn it back over to Larry.